Your environment will never, ever change. You will always have an exponential amount of demands that you probably, some you can meet, some you can't meet. You will always have, if you're in a client-facing role, you'll always have clients that are demanding things from you. And even if you're in an internal-facing role, you'll always have internal people who act like clients who need things from you too. So nothing can really change until you are ready to change yourself, which is why that question is so important. And that's why the first pillar in the book is called Leading Yourself, because it starts with you. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for the conversation. We have Nils Vinya with us today. Nils has written a book called The 30-Day Leadership Playbook. He has helped create internal transformation for hundreds of companies from early-stage startups to Fortune 100. For the first 10 years of his professional career, he bounced from job to job, not knowing where he fit. After being frustrated, he invested in himself and uh, became a certified leadership coach and began working with clients to put his newly found wisdom to the test. Extremely excited to dive into uh, the book today. Thanks for joining us, Nils. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Kyle. Well, extremely excited uh, to to dig into this. Um, you know, leadership is one of those things that um, is just kind of interwoven in everything that HR does, uh, but it's not something that um, HR necessarily invests a significant amount of time uh, in, especially for themselves. I think that's one of the challenges that many HR professionals have is is trying to find the time and the tactics uh, to become better leaders and to help others become better leaders. So um, I really want to dig into that a little bit today. Uh, but before we get started, uh, what inspired you to write a book about leadership? Well, Kyle, really the pandemic played a big part in the drive to actually create the book. So I've been head up until the pandemic hit, that time I had been running my own consulting firm, um, primarily as my my central piece of what I did. And it was focused in the customer success space, B2B SaaS businesses, helping the organizations that work with customers post-sale. That was my wheelhouse. Now, for 10 years, I've been a leadership coach and I've been coaching people one-on-one in a very private context. And usually it was a part of some of my consulting engagements. But when the pandemic hit, My consulting world completely disappeared, and I was left with a family of five to support, looking at the outlook of no business and no funnel and no no prospects and people coming in and no end in sight. And so I had to take a real honest look and say, well, can I continue in this mode of working one-on-one with with my clients, or do I need to, you know, take what I've learned from over the last 10 years of, you know, not only from myself and putting these tools into action, but also coaching others to put them into action and then sharing them with more people in a bigger audience so that I could, you know, ride through these kinds of ups and downs that I'm going to have in the future. So when the pandemic hit and everything went to zero on the consulting side, I decided to make the pivot in my business and said, you know what, the leadership skills market is an area I also have a tremendous amount of expertise in, but I've never made it the focal point of my business. And that was the shift. And that was the point at which I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to go into it with a bang. 
And the book became the central cornerstone piece on which I wanted to build everything out. So I'm very thankful for the pandemic because it gave me the push to actually finally, you know, put pen to paper and get this book done. And this was all the culmination of, you know, 10 years of coaching, 20 years in the professional world, bringing all that experience into a, you know, cohesive framework that other people could understand and most importantly, take advantage of and ultimately make some improvements in their world. Absolutely. And, and good for you for, for, for making the pivot. My, my guess is that in that 20 years of experience in the professional world, you've learned that, you know, being um, resilient and adaptable to those sorts of changes is, is important for continued success. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And nothing will teach you that even more than I've, now it's been seven years that I've been, you know, working for myself, um, primarily, you know, consulting and now focus heavily on the leadership side in a broader sense. Um, and that adaptability is the single most important thing <laughs> to, to your livelihood. And I think it, it applies as a leadership principle just across the board. And, and adaptability is absolutely huge and something I reinforce with my clients all the time. Absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to, to understand a little bit more about your, your approach to, to the playbook. So it's a 30-day it's a um playbook. So what, what inspired you to, to focus on, you know, kind of a, that, that short term 30 day, um, you know, kind of tactical approach to leadership. So the book of the, the 30 days, it equates to 30 chapters. And so in the very beginning, in the introduction, I talk about how, if you read just one chapter a day for 30 days, you will know more about leadership than the vast majority of the professional working world. And that was my goal right? To share that wisdom, share that experience in a way that is easily consumable and not going to, you know, require months on end to try to get through or some heavy, you know, theoretical stuff. Like this is tangible, crispy, actionable stuff that people can put into place. And many have commented in the reviews and things about how big a difference they made when they put these tools into action. That was the goal. So that's where the 30 days came from. And I was uh, coming up with the title and trying to figure this out and brainstorming all the structure of the book. You know, I thought about well, what's the most meaningful impact that I could make in a short period of time to get people started or to get to the next, you know, one next tool that you could implement that could make a difference. And that was where the 30 day notion come in. And lo and behold, I had roughly 30 chapters that I wanted to work into. And those chapters fall into four main pillars, which we can talk about. Um, so that's how the structure came about. And that's why I called it a 30 day leadership playbook, because it is a playbook. It is a reference guide. And every Everything's covered from day one to day 30, and you can have a very solid understanding of some core principles and some great tools to put into action. Some are basic, some are a bit more advanced, but easily consumable in a short period of time. I love that. And I, I think, you know, from my standpoint, so, you know, I, I get a lot of books <laughs> as a as a podcast host, which I love. I love to read and and invest that time. And I, I love the I love the complex and challenging kind of the macro thesis type approach where you, where you try to, you know, understand the broad concepts, but at a certain point, like I, I need something that's pragmatic and something that's actionable. And, and, and a lot of times you read these books and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. I have no idea what to do with this information. <laughs> so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I completely and, and that, agree. 
And that's, that was, that was my thinking too. Like the best books that have, I've ever read that have made the most impact on me have been very specific, very to the point where the author has taken their incredible knowledge, broken it down into a framework that is easy to understand, and then provide specific guidance on how to implement, right? That to me is like a magical book. And, and that was what I wanted to create. I can't do theory. I can't do fluff. I'm not a researcher. I have no intention of being, but I have a lot of very practical experience and advice and tools to share. And that was what I put everything in the book. Yeah, especially as we're so busy, it's the, the theory is awesome, but it's like, okay, now we got to move. What, what can we do to make an impact in our business today, on our team today? That's right. That's right. And I, I went to grad school. I got an MBA in management and organizational behavior that was the starting point where I learned the, the value of, and that the field of leadership even existed from a scientific point of view. So I got all the theory. I just can't, you know, I mean, nobody who comes to work with me is looking for an MBA. They're looking for specific tools to implement in the moment to help them have a better one-on-one -on -one conversation with their employee, to give a better, give a better presentation um, to their team, to their uh, direct reports, or to their executive team. And all those pieces are, are things that everybody, every single leader is involved with every day. And if I can integrate some incredible tools into someone's day-to-day -day life, then their life gets better, their team's lives gets better, everybody, the world's a better place when we have better leaders. Yeah. Before we jump into some of the like pillars and all of that stuff, I'm just curious, just because of the timing of this all, do you find, or did you find um, the timing had anything to do with kind of what you were writing, what you were learning about? Meaning like, has leadership, has the principles, has the actions changed with not only the pandemic, but also what most of us are going through now with this great resignation, right? Mm -hmm. Employee market. Like, Did you find some of this stuff changed or was it pretty consistent? So the, the core concepts remain consistent, and, and it'll, I'll give some examples of that when we talk about the specifics. Um, the application is what changes, and that's been a, a key focus in the work that I've done since the pandemic and everything, um, is that you still have to do the same things as a leader, but doing them in a remote environment is complete, not completely different, is going to take more effort. Right. And it is absolutely 100% possible to have the same relationships with your team, to have the same uh, level of visibility inside your organization uh, that you want. However, it takes a different set of tools and sometimes even a different level of effort in order to ensure that you show up in the way that you want to show up. So I don't think the principles change so much and the tools change, but it is the application of those and the level of effort that's required because it's a lot easier to do things in person, let's face it, than it is to do things in a remote distributed environment, which still the large percentage of the world working world is in today. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, what I'm finding in my workplace specifically, it's more, it's more on the, um, the great resignation than it is the pandemic at this point. It's like, I'm finding my leaders are afraid to do things that they would have done. Um, such, such as like holding people accountable because they're afraid they're going to walk out, right. Or setting clear expectations. And that's, that's the challenge that I've see my leaders struggling with. See, I, world. those are fascinating examples. And I think those are two perfect examples of exactly what you need to do more of because people want to be held accountable. People want clear expectations. If you don't do that, then 
an assumption can be made that you don't care or that it's not important. And then that leads to a, you know, dissociation from the organization. And then, oh, I might start looking at some other opportunities or the next time I get a recruiter ping on LinkedIn, I'm going to entertain the conversation because I don't feel like I'm growing here. So I think it's actually the exact opposite, that if you're fearful of setting more, uh, you know, consistent and, and strict expectations and holding people accountable, lean into that. Do that and it will actually have a more positive effect on the person on the other end because that is what drives you know, individuals and contributions to the company and being committed to the work that they're doing and knowing that somebody else actually cares. That's an interesting way to look at it and a great, great way to look at it. You taking notes, Molly? I am. I'm like, oh yeah, let me just repeat that back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's, you know, it's a really uh, important point. And I I do think it's, it's so different to be a leader in an environment where you bump into someone and you have a five minute conversation and you do maybe a little bit of coaching, you do some connection uh, and you're good. Right. And, and you're, but in a, in a virtual remote environment where it's, where you're distributed and, uh, and you don't intentionally have those accidental interactions, Leadership's a lot harder. It really is. Yeah. It, it, it takes it takes intentional uh, effort to, to to be a good leader. And, that's uh, that's the yeah. key. It takes intention in order to do that. It absolutely one hundred percent can be done, but it has to. You have to have that intention, and you have to have the drive to do that, and be willing to do it every single day. Because whereas if it was ad hoc in the office, it's like casual. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Not a big deal. It'll same environment will happen next week. But in the remote environment, you got to look at the entire way that you engage with your team and the way that, that you systematize the connection with each person, because that you have to orchestrate. It can't just fall into your lap and it won't. 100%. Recurring meetings are my friend in this, in, in this environment. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I do, I struggle. I, you know, before the, before the pandemic, I was traveling, you know, around 50% of the time. And we, I have a distributed workforce anyway. So, you know, kind of part of my job is traveling and seeing people. And then, and then I, I lost all of that context when, when travel was shut down and, and to try to be an effective human leader, uh, it took, took a very different set of skills. Um, and, uh, and took a little bit of a, a pivot, but the, I would agree the principles of leadership, you know, remain the same. Yeah. So in that context, I do want to start to dive into to some of the content of the book. And we've already alluded to this. And um, I think everybody, everybody listening right now probably understands this stuff's really important. I really need to invest in this and I need to understand uh, more about leadership. And, and that starts with me. I think everybody probably universally understands that fact. The issue is finding the time. Mm-hmm. and and the the energy to do it and and one of the things that that you talk about in your book is how to save uh at five hours a week by answering one simple question so yeah. take us through uh this question please <laughs> yeah absolutely this is this is one of my favorite ones and one that has yielded just gains like that five hours a week back just by answering one simple question the simple question is this who is in control That's it. That's as complicated as the question gets. And the reason I ask that question, anytime I've worked with anybody over the last 10 plus years in a coaching capacity and time is an issue, which let's face it, basically is everybody. 
The reason I ask that is because change begins with psychology. And if you do not believe that you are in control, you're never going to change. You can be as frustrated as, you know, the most frustrated person in the world with how your schedule is arranged. But if you don't believe that you have the ability to control your schedule, to exert influence over your environment, whatever tactics I give you, completely useless. However, if you make the decision and you answer, I am in control, not my environment, I am in control. Once you make that decision, then all the tools and tactics that I have to share will be incredibly powerful. And that five-hour example back in a week has been returned multiple times from people who have gone through my training and my program, my coaching in order to put these things in action. But they have to answer that question first. And I tell them there's only two answers. It's either you or it's your environment. And by environment, I mean your emails, your meetings, your clients, your work, et cetera. That's your environment. So it's either you are in control or your environment. And until you are ready to answer that you are in control, Nothing you do will make any difference. So that is just how powerful that one question is. And that's what leads to the tools being able to be adapted. And then the time gets saved. And that particular, uh, just a month ago or so, had an individual in my program um, who went through, had was having a lot of trouble on the time mastery side, went through the content, my coaching, and came out on the other side saving five hours a week, which he then dedicated to more strategic efforts. He decided to spend some of that time with his team. He decided to spend some of that time on strategic projects for his team looking forward. And every single time this has happened with a client, they have found incredibly better uses of that time than they what they were doing before. To me, that's less time putting out fires and more time in control with intention. Yes. That's right. And your environment is never going to change. This is like one thing that's really, really important to that I want everybody to just think about listening to this. Your environment will never, ever change. You will always have an exponential amount of demands that you probably, some you can meet, some you can't meet. You will always have, if you're in a client-facing role, you'll always have clients that are demanding things from you. And even if you're in an internal-facing role, you'll always have internal people who act like clients who need things from you too. So nothing can really change until you are ready to change yourself, which is why that question is so important. And that's why the first pillar in the book is called leading yourself, because it starts with you. It's a powerful question. And, you know, when you asked it, um, you know, it, it, it prompted me to think back, you know, certainly early in my career where I didn't have any control over my schedule. And it was almost like, you know, what... What happens if someone walks in my door and takes control of of my day? And I, I know I don't know a single HR professional that can say, "Yeah, my day hasn't blown up because of right. somebody else's agenda," <laughs> right? Yep. Um, and some of that is 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 unavoidable in our job to a certain extent. But I think the things that are within our control, um, you know, and having that uh, that thoughtful, um, you know, question. Uh, that's a that's a little bit of a game changer. So, um, you know, so tactically, you know, I've I've heard some people have like they will block off their calendar for time to think, or they will, um, you know, maybe uh, have like office hours or mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. What what kind of tactics uh, have you seen that work for people who are are living 
um, in, in the mode uh, of being in control of their of themselves and their schedules. Yeah, um, so tactics vary across the boards depending on the situation. So first step is we answer that question and we get full commitment that I am in control, the individual, of course. Um, then we can move into the tactics. Um, email is still the most prolific and proficient tool for all communication in the business world, and also a vast majority of the distraction in the business world. I'd say Slack and other um, teams, you know, chat programs are probably very close second, if not some of them and some organizations have overtaken them. So what it looks like to exert control over those tools is very specifically, I am going to decide how I use these tools as opposed to these tools deciding how they are going to use me. Mm. What I mean is the example you just shared. Somebody else's day happened, that influenced me, and all of a sudden, the rest of my day is gone, right? That is a very difficult place to be in because all the things you had planned to do suddenly are on the side. Now, I fully understand that situations occur where you're not going to be able to control everything. That's totally okay, which is why we plan for chaos. We plan, I love to have at least 20% of your day available to move things around in case the inevitable blow up happens. And that's one of the techniques on the calendar blocking is that plan for chaos. Don't wait for it to happen. Anticipate it's going to happen. Then when it comes, it's simply, hey, chaos is here. I just need to move this around and I can still get done the things I need to get done today. Right. And there's a lot of specifics on the email um, management and things that I go into. Probably too much to go into here. But taking control of when you are going to engage with your email, how you are going to um, handle the emails that come through, when you are going to engage with Slack or Teams, how you are going to process that information in a way that keeps you in control. Because the most likely response when everybody goes into their email or into Slack is just, I get a message and now I feel something and now I have to do something that maybe wasn't even in my sphere of, of, of knowledge beforehand, and now I have to attack it. Well, if we look at it from the perspective of I'm in control, it looks a lot different. And there are some very simple ways that we can work together in order to you know, give tools that reinforce that control feeling. I love that. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, from my standpoint, um, you know, I've not always been good at this. I, you know, I'll just be, be blunt um, because I've always been, you know, kind of conditioned to think, a full schedule means I'm effective, right? Mm. You know, I'm busy, I'm impacting others. You know, that's, that's a good thing. But you know, what I found is if I don't block out that time to, to think and, and that buffer, I'm, I'm always operating with my hair on fire. And it's always like, it's going from crisis to crisis, as opposed to stepping back, taking a deep breath and realizing, okay, you know, now here's the situation. I can work through this because I've given myself enough time. And I, um, I love that. Use the tool. Don't let the tool use you. I think that's a great way to think about it. Uh, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. And remember the, the, your environment isn't going to change, right? The only thing that can change is you starting with your mindset and then starting with these tools and tactics. That is the way we drive change from a time mastery perspective and the way, way we drive change through a lot of this, but in particular time mastery is you take in charge, Kyle, tomorrow morning, if instead of going right into the, you know, back-to-back meetings that you have, if you took whatever time you think is appropriate, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and took a breath and planned out exactly what you needed to get done today. So you went into it from a different perspective, 
I would be, you know, highly likely that you would feel differently going throughout that day, which would then give you another set of motivation to do it the next day and the next day and little, little wins stack up over time. And that helps you take control. I love that you're giving Kyle homework right now. It's part of my job. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for me, um, just the simple thing of not having my email up 24 seven has been so impactful for me. You know, I look at it three times a day and I get so much more done and I feel so much better about it. But also, you know, thinking about our world and HR, Kyle, you were talking about like our day really kind of depends on what walks in our door. I also think for HR professionals specifically having good processes in place that people Mm -hmm. know, like will really help us, whether that is, you know, a good process for for employees reporting issues and or, okay, now what do we do with those issues? Investigation processes, good leave of absence processes. So it's not always like, especially for those HR departments of just one or two, it's not like, okay, what do I do when this situation comes up? That only happens maybe a few times a year. Um, You know, you don't have to kind of recreate that wheel. You just have a documented known process. It's Molly, you hit the nail on the head that we create our own chaos, right? By not having systems in place like that, part of the first pillar um, is also called building repeatable systems, doing exactly what you just described there. So that, again, it helps you maintain control because if you have, you know, ad hoc things come to you all the time and you deal with each one in an ad hoc way, your level of context switching is gigantic and it reduces your level of productivity. And this is, you know, whether you're in HR or whether you're in another function, it's universally applicable. And so building those processes and giving people that need to have access to you, whether it's your team or whether it's your employees or whatever it is, giving them the certainty that if they have an issue or a need or a request and you have a way to for them to, um, you know, get that to you gives a tremendous amount of freedom and comfort to them, and it keeps you in control, right? It's when we don't do any of that, that we respond ad hoc, that happens a lot because we don't take the time to build the system and make it repeatable. When we don't do that, then we just fly by the seat of our pants and get to the end of every day. We feel really busy, but we don't really know what we got done. And that's a dangerous place to be in any leadership position anywhere. Absolutely. I, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting insight, Molly. And I think one of the things I'd be curious to, to dig into a little bit is it's, it's really not just your own personal leadership, but influencing the leadership of others. So as, as we think about the, you know, the 30 day leadership playbook, how can we translate some of these, um, leadership best practices or tactics into uh, performance within our the leaders on our team? How do we, you know, how do we focus on, on that uh, influence and impact? So I think one of the most effective ways to teach someone else is to one, go through it yourself, of course, to become proficient. You don't have to be at expert level, but become proficient and then actually teach it to somebody else. And this is, you know, part of my personal drive is just continuous improvement and always challenging everything and looking at things from a new perspective and seeing how can I improve and get better every day. 
I've, you know, am teaching things now that I've been teaching for a long time. And some of the things I'm teaching, I've been teaching for a relatively recent time because I've continuously evolved. So if you're an HR professional and you're thinking about, wow, you know, my day is chaos most times. And hey, maybe Nils has some ideas on how I can master my time. That would be awesome. Love that question of who's in control. Then get the tools, right? Master your time for a little while. Find out what works and what doesn't. And then find somebody in the organization who also is struggling with mastering your time. I guarantee there are a lot of people. And then teach them some of the tools that you have learned. And explain that, hey, look, I'm not an expert by any means, but these are some tools that really help me. Molly, like you said there, check in your email three times a day. The first question people say when I suggest something like that is, oh my gosh, what happens if something comes in? Well, there's this thing called a personal SLA that we define, which helps us feel comfortable with the response time that we're going to have. So all these little pieces then end up as tools that then can integrate. And when you teach something to someone else, you learn it, number one, even better, and they get to, you know, experience the knowledge that you have and you can, and, and everything, everybody benefits. So if you're willing to invest in yourself, which is a, you know, primary core thesis of mine that you have to be willing to invest in yourself, invest in yourself and then teach it to somebody else. Doesn't have to be a gigantic, full-blown company-wide program. Just teach one thing to one other person and see what kind of an impact it has and see what challenges they have and see if they come up with different strategies than you even thought of that might impact how you do it. And I think that's a really effective way to spread this throughout organizations. And sometimes it, certain tools will grab hold and be, um, you know, be, be really adopted by a lot of people. And sometimes maybe they'll, they won't be. That's okay. It's just about experimentation and everybody can constantly improve, myself included, right? I'm always on the lookout for another program or tool or book that can help me get better so that ultimately I can then help my clients get better. And that's just going to be a never ending process. And I would encourage the, everybody else to do the same thing. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, it's the, the theory that if, if you teach somebody something, yeah. you're going to get better at it. Yep. Then th- yep. because you're, you're reinforcing, you know, the, the behavior and you're learning more as you teach. I think that's a, that's a great tactic. Um, Molly, I don't know about the three day, three emails a day <laughs> or checking three emails three times a day. Right that's there, right, right there. I'm <laughs> telling you, it has changed my that life. That's it. <laughs> right now stack it with the, the being in control piece and the world looks a lot different. And all of a sudden you will see things in a completely different way. That's a perfect example. Molly, you got an opportunity to teach Kyle a little bit more about that. And Kyle would be in a totally different place. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy you a beer if you tell me how that works. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, one of my mentors um, has a great saying. He says to the, uh, to the fourth grader, the fifth grader is a genius. And, and what he's getting at is that you don't have to become a master at any you know one particular area. It's when you know just something slightly more than somebody else because you've had the good fortune to invest in yourself or to experience a presentation that was really impactful. Then you can share that with somebody else and they will, you know, to the fourth grader, the fifth grader is a genius. That's literally the difference in sometimes in level of knowledge, but it's about improvement, getting better, helping other people become better and just be more engaged overall. I think that's a great call out and and a great reflection of the point you just made. And for, you know, for all the HR people listening here, you know, you are the fifth grader in a room full of fourth graders as it relates to human resources yeah, and as it relates to leadership. So if they're not doing this and you're not doing this, then who is? 
right? So it's like, you know, your organization is actually expecting you to, to, to do these sorts of things, whether that's just impacting one person, um, you know, maybe it's a program that, that you, you start out as a small pilot program. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you've got to try something. So I, I think that's a great call to action and, um, super helpful. I do want to dig into one, one additional topic that I think is really, really pertinent to, uh, to the, the day and age that we're in right now. Some of the things that HR deals with, and that is a, a, a term uh, that you use called rhino skin resilience. Um, so, and, and it's really about becoming immune to negativity. So, and uh, it's no surprise here that we deal with a lot of negativity uh, in our role. So, so, so how do we become a rhino? Yeah. Uh, so this is it's still a focus on the, uh, the first pillar of leading yourself, which is all of the first part, the very, very beginning. One of the, some of the first chapters are dedicated to your leadership psychology. And that's where this rhino skin resilience comes from. Um, as we talked about before, psychology plays an incredibly important part in leadership. It is not the only part, but it, it, without it, all the tactics, eh, they kind of fall apart. It's really, really hard to make progress if you don't have the right psychology. So that resilience comes from, number one, having a very clear understanding of your role and what it is that you are ultimately there to do, whatever role you're in, whether in HR or some other function, doesn't matter. What is your role? Number two is something I call claiming your strengths and having a very solid understanding of exactly what you are naturally talented to do. The assessment I love to use more than any other, like every coach has lots of assessments, but there's one that over the last 10 plus years has been the best at um, just getting to the core of understanding what someone is naturally talented to do is the Strengths Finder assessment from Gallup. I have no association with Gallup. It's just my absolute favorite thing that I put everybody through. Um, the Strengths started as a research project by Gallup where they wanted to answer one question. They said, what makes a high-performing team? And they did hundreds of thousands of hours of research, crunched all the data, and came to one single sentence conclusion. That is that highest performing teams have individuals in roles that maximize their strengths. So by claiming your strengths and being able to very clearly articulate what it is you are naturally talented to do builds a tremendous amount of confidence, which then builds up the resiliency and supports why you are in the role that you're in. So there's a com little bit about the combination of the psychology side with some tactics side to ultimately um, build that out. Now, if you're uncertain of why you're in your role or uncertain of the role that you're in, you don't know your strengths, it's really hard to show up every day and get the barrage of stuff that I know HR professionals sometimes receive are on the receiving end of. And if we, if we flip that table back to our control theme Right? It's about taking control of, no, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I am most talented to do. This is how I'm wired. That changes the game entirely. Yeah, you mentioned confidence, and I couldn't agree more that confidence in anybody will make you excel. I think it'll make you happy in your role. So anything I think we as leaders can do to help build confidence in our team will make a huge impact. Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Very quickly, too. Like time sometimes is like, it doesn't have to take, you know, these are not years long things. These are, I'm a big fan of like, we integrate tools into your daily life. If we get the ants, the results of the Strengths Finder assessment, and then you take on, uh, go through a series of questions to go deeper 
than just the assessment results, very, very quickly, every single person that goes through that is eyes wide open going, oh my gosh, I know exactly how to describe who I am and what I do now. This is, this is amazing. And now I look, sometimes they look at their job and say, maybe this lines up perfectly. Maybe some of it doesn't, but at least they have a lens to look at their work through and a lens to look at themselves through in a different way than they've ever had before. Absolutely. I, I, I think, um, that's a really great insight. You know, I'll be honest. One of the reasons that, uh, I started a podcast was because of the strengths finder assessment. Mm. Uh, and for me, it was uh, woo, uh, and communication <laughs> are my top two. Oh. And so I thought, well, how do I, you know, how do I, how, how do I leverage those skills? And, you know, sure enough, podcast requires both of those things. Now, yeah. when it comes to asking hard hitting questions, that's why I need somebody like Molly, <laughs> <laughs> because I just like to talk to people and get to know others and, and connect. Um, you know, Molly likes to come down with a hammer with all those tough questions, but, um, but it, but it is a great example of, you know, if you truly know yourself, um, you, it, you go back to that question, who's in control, right? If, if you know your strengths and you know other strengths and you can complement, you know, each other, uh, now, now you're getting into, you know, you can build great teams. That's right. Um, you know, you can build a good team around you. You can build out great mentors. You can be mentor others. You know, it really is, you know, foundational to what an organization really needs in a leader. Um, and ultimately, you know, for, for individuals who are trying to figure out, okay, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, <laughs> you know, figure out what you're good at and then, yeah. and then do more of it, right? And That's eventually right. you'll figure it out, right? <laughs> That's it. That's exactly right. And in the world today, right, nobody is very few, I should say, very few people will work for one organization for even a long period of time, right? Definitely not what it was generations ago when there was one company, one career, one job, one role, that was it. Like you kind of put all of your essence and being into that organization and hope for a big payout at the end, right? Nowadays, I, you know, use the term and champion this, that every single individual is a CEO of his or her career. You're in charge. There is no more like putting your hands, your development and your future and your growth into the hands of somebody else who's going to decide for you where you get to go, how much you get to accomplish in your career, the opportunities you have. The game has shifted and it, the power is in your hands. Literally, that's, I mean, that's part of why we were in the great resignation um, is a piece of it. But you have to claim that. You have to be ready to take full control. And that comes with this psychology piece and leading yourself. When you're in that position, problems and negativity, they just don't matter, right? Because you are able to make decisions with the best information that you have available at the time. And whatever the decision is, you made the call, not somebody else. Absolutely. You know, I think it, it's interesting because, you know, a, a story from my my uh, earlier years in HR, we, I, I used to struggle with the bad stuff, you know, or I call it like the dark side of HR, right? Yeah. So, terminations, performance yep. management, yep. investigations, like it's just not fun. If it is fun, maybe don't be in HR. That scares me a little bit. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, you know, to, to go into those situations, um, you know, kind of uh, without that type of, of mentality where, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to help the situation by leveraging my strengths or, or without having maybe the, the confidence that I know what I'm doing is really, really tough. And, you know, the, yep. the way that I overcame it was, was actually understanding that, you know, my strengths in that situation, 
is the ability to articulate somebody else's feelings yep. into a calm and rational um, type of communication that others can understand and interpret to help find some sort of common ground or some sort of resolution. Um, and ultimately, if I can do that, if I can leverage that strength, um, I'm happy to do that because I'm not I, I'm not going into a negative situation completely out of control. I'm going into a situation to help resolve it. And ultimately, you can't resolve all the situations. At least I can say, you know, we, we did our best in this situation and, you know, here's the outcome. <laughs> but it's so that's. That's a perfect example of looking at the work you have to do through the lens of your strengths. Right. Right. So what was previously the dark side that you <laughs> in the earlier days were a little bit less comfortable with, you still d had to do those things, but you looked at it through the lens of your woo and communication as your top two dominant strengths. And that made you exceptional in that role. I wouldn't be surprised if the people who went through some of those dark things probably said some very nice things about the process and you going through it and having you on the other side was really helpful, right? Wouldn't be surprised. We'll but, see. Okay, we'll <laughs> see. Not everybody <laughs> felt that way, but you know, we yeah. gave it our best college try. <laughs> Fair enough. After the sting wore off. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can just imagine, man, that was the best termination I've ever been a part of. Gosh, I mean, I right? just lost my job, but he was so nice doing it. It has happened before, right? And it, and it comes back to you are naturally talented to win. Woo stands for win others over and communicate. And you'd use those strengths in a challenging and difficult situation and felt good about it as compared to when you didn't know that in the early days and you were probably a little bit fearful of it. Absolutely. Good job, Kyle. Well, I, um, I would en encourage anybody to uh, learn about this. I don't think this has anything to do with me. This isn't like, um, you know, some intrinsic skill that I have to do this. I went through the work. I was fortunate to go through an organization that used tools like that to help leaders and future leaders understand their skill sets. The other thing I would say, and I um, I know Molly, you and I've talked about this quite a bit, is I also came from a leadership background before I got into HR. So I didn't have, you know, I didn't necessarily have the theoretical human resources stuff figured out when I started in HR, but I definitely had the the bumps and bruises of being a leader and learning from, you know, being a frontline leader of you know, uh, dozens of people and, and bringing that into the HR world, uh, you know, I think also kind of built up that, that resilience, um, that, that rhino skin, if you will, um, to, uh, to deal with some of that stuff. So, um, see, so and even, I didn't yeah. have that. So it was really interesting for me. Um, you know, I would be coaching leaders on how to have a difficult conversation or how to terminate this person. But then when it came down to it, and I personally had to do this, I'm like, Oh my God, I've, I've never wow, actually done this. Um, it was, it's crazy. And I'm sure that's how a lot of HR people um, out there have, have come up, but it's like, it, it was just crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, uh, maybe the, uh, to, to, to wrap up that, that part of it. Yeah. That's, that's a better term. See Molly, that's, that's it. That's why, that's why you're, that's why you're good for this podcast. Um, but I, I think it does, it comes down to, you know, being aware, being self-aware. And so if you have some leadership experience, leverage that. If you don't leverage others that have that experience and learn from them. And it, and it goes back to that, 
you know, that, that principle of, of who is in control. Well, you are, if you don't have leadership, then go get it. Yeah. Go learn, yeah. go ask somebody, yeah. call Nils. He'll come in, he'll do a full on workshop. You'll be good to go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> you can, a little plug for you there. Thank you. appreciate that. And you can even start. I got good news for the guests of your podcast. I'm giving away free digital copies to my book, 30 Day Leadership Playbook. To get one, all you need is your name and email. It's very simple. Go to 3030dayleadership.com forward slash book, and you can read the all the content, uh, the pillars we talked about most today was pillar one, leading yourself. But there are three other pillars. Leading others is pillar number two. Leading with communication is pillar number three. And leading with metrics is pillar number four. And get kind of a broad strokes and find one of those areas and implement one of the tools that I talk about in the book. And that's, you know, take one step to go further and you can do it for free today. Love it. And we will have, we'll have that information in the show notes. So open up your podcast player, click in there, uh, check it out. Uh, Nils, thank you for being so generous with that and, and for, for sharing the knowledge with our team. With yeah. that, we are going to shift into the Rebel HR flash round. So um, three quick questions. Uh, question number one, what is your favorite people book? All right. Favorite one of all time has to be uh, Working with Emotional Intelligence by none other than Daniel Goleman. When I read that book the first time was in grad school and it just was eye-opening that there was a different way to measure success in today's world that didn't involve IQ because I was not at the top of the IQ scale. School was hard, but I knew how to connect with people. And that was uh, when I learned that, you know, the future success of you and your career is all about how effectively you can work with other people. It gave me a completely different light to follow. And that was absolutely hands down one of my favorites. Recommend it to everybody. Yeah, it's a blast. Absolutely. And I, I second that. I had an opportunity at a, a SHRM conference a few years ago um, to, to attend uh, a seminar uh, by him and, and, you know, powerful stuff. I think many of us in the HR space are, are, are higher EQ than IQ. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was uh, empowering to understand that, you know, that the, there is a different way to think about success and what good looks like and how to measure that um, within my my field. Um, so, yeah, strongly, strongly encourage that. Uh, question number two, who should we be listening to? All right. So, well, you're already listening to the Rebel HR podcast. So that's <laughs> top of the list, of course. Um, I also have a podcast called the B2B Leadership Podcast, all, all leadership focused, talking to B2B leaders, business to business, and just Pulling back the covers on leadership development. How did people in director, senior director, VP, C-level positions get to where they are today? And what advice do they have to share? The other um, piece about who to be listening to is I would encourage everybody to listen outside of your domain, outside of your discipline. So some of my favorite podcasts have absolutely nothing to do with leadership or even with customer success where I have a lot of expertise. Some of my favorites are in the marketing space. I have a you know, passion for understanding how does marketing work? And then I bring in tools that I learned from the marketing space into my leadership work and it actually complement in a lot of ways. So you can oftentimes find some really interesting insights and different ways to look at things by going outside of, you know, if it's your HR is your domain, going outside of HR. I love the um, uh, Story Brand podcast uh, company um, by Donald Miller. Phenomenal piece, all incredible marketing. And another one is uh, my coach is James Shramko. He runs a, a podcast called Super Fast Business. 
he's on episode almost 900 or something. So there's an endless amount of entrepreneurs that he's talked to that I get to listen in on conversations and it's fascinating. And some of it has things directly related to me, but a lot of it has things that are completely unrelated that then I might take into account when I'm teaching something or working with one of my clients. I love Absolutely. that answer. And especially when we're talking about HR, I mean, that's exactly what you need to do to elevate the profession. Yep. 100%. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Last question. Hard hitting question. How can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the website is 30dayleadership.com, 30dayleadership.com. As I mentioned, the free book is at 30dayleadership.com forward slash book podcast, b2bleadershippodcast.com. And the program that I run, which takes all the concepts from the book and goes deeper and gets to work with me on a training and coaching basis is called the B2B Leaders Academy. There's information on 30dayleadership.com. But if you like the content in the free book and you want to go deeper and you want to build your leadership skills, you want to work with me as a coach, check out the B2B Leaders Academy because my job is to empower leaders with the tools to confidently handle any situation, just like we've been talking about today. Awesome. And again, we'll have all that information in the show notes. Uh, check it out. Nels Vinja, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, it's just been a wonderful conversation, some really great content. And uh, thanks for spending the last few minutes with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Molly. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.